there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into the startup world, whether in the field of artificial intelligence and machine learning or in philanthropy or an investment, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is the CEO of a startup that's powered by machine learning to help nonprofit fundraisers identify the right donors. But before I introduce you to Sean Oles, I want to make sure you've signed up to get a free copy of the Just Brew It ebook with fantastic career advice from some of the super accomplished and insightful professionals who've been guests on T4C. And it is so easy to do. All you got to do is head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org. And the sign up box to download the free ebook will be right there on the homepage. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Sean Olds, the CEO of Boodle AI, the leading machine learning power predictive analytics platform that empowers philanthropies to find new donors and companies to find their best customers. Prior to joining Boodle in April 2016, Sean was a serial investor in a variety of startups, as well as the managing director and chief operating officer of Bella Wood Group, also known as BWG, a proprietary merchant banking platform. And he was client initiative leader and director of business development for Essex Late Group in Abu Dhabi, which has over 10 years of extensive research on data-driven intelligence techniques, whether robotics, artificial intelligence, deep learning, machine learning, advanced algorithms, all to solve complex business problems. Sean is a graduate of West Point Military Academy and served four years as a captain and a platoon leader in the U.S. Army. He's also got his law degree from Northwestern University and his MBA from the Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management. Sean, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am well caffeinated and appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Thank you so much. Terrific. So are you a coffee guy? Is this something that you do every day? Do you enjoy a particular kind of coffee? I actually transition. So I usually start the morning with tea and then uh, late morning through afternoon is coffee, usually either shock or death wish. <laughs> and by end of evening, I usually finish the evening with gunpowder green tea. So. Nice. Oh, my God. I, I There's quite a theme running through your <laughs> caffeinated beverages. What are those two coffees that you mentioned? So Shock and Death Wish are two brands of coffee that tout themselves as being uh, some of the most highly caffeinated coffees that exist. I have never heard of them. Where do you get them, Sean? I bought them on Amazon. Nice. Do they live up to the promise? They do, actually. They're quite, but I will tell you the gunpowder green tea, it doesn't hit you as quickly, but it has, uh, I think, an even greater caffeinated effect and it tends to 
stick with you a little bit longer. Nice. Well, I'm also a big green tea person. So love it. Love it. Excellent. So let's dive into our 10 espresso shots, which we are framing around the startup world, right? Absolutely. Okay. What entry-level jobs, Sean, are available to young people who want to break into the startup world? Andrew, it really depends on the stage of the company. Very early stage companies, right upon founding and and forward, there actually aren't typically a lot of entry-level positions because you've got very small teams, sometimes one to six people, and each of them have very specialized, defined job roles. Most startups start to hire people once they can provide that structured professional development that you find at larger companies. So for instance, as a company, Boodle AI hired its first college graduate after two years of operations. We brought a woman in who has been a rock star for us into the marketing area, and she recently transitioned into the customer success area after a year with the company. So I think people coming out of college or or young professionals who want to transition into startups are probably looking at companies that have been around for a little while, maybe even have their, their first round of funding. The exception always being, of course, if you've got an idea that you're going to start on your own. The Mark Zuckerbergs and others of the world, technically they were pretty entry level coming right out of college, but they went into a very senior level position because they founded their own companies. Okay. Now, what about the skills that you look for, in particular hard and soft skills that you're looking for? For example, the young woman that you hired a year or so ago to join on your marketing side of your business. What are those skills that you think our young listeners should try to cultivate? Absolutely. It really depends on what they want to do. So for instance, as a a machine learning company, we obviously have a team of engineers. And so if I'm going to bring on an engineer, they need to have solid programming skills. We're looking probably towards the end of this year, building out our finance team. Someone who's going to work for our CFO is going to have to have good financial skills. So it's really going to depend just on as far as hard skills, what area they want to pursue within the startup realm. The soft skills probably span across any type of field, whether it's a marketing person, a finance person, or an engineer. In the startup world, you've got to be able to deal with ambiguity. There are walk-in in the morning and have one task that you're supposed to be doing, and by noon, uh, that may have changed twice. And so it, it's not a walk-in from nine to five and, and know what you're going to be doing each day, and you've got to be comfortable with that. Because they are smaller teams and there's not a lot of oversight per se, you also need to be have a lot of self-initiative. You need to be able to understand what needs to get done and not be asked to do it. And then finally, in the startup world, you've got to trust the people you're with at all times. And so integrity is absolutely one of the key soft skills that we always look for. And how do you identify that? Integrity, a lot of it, you get just through the interview process. I mean, it is definitely a subjective measure. You've got to ask the right questions. And we make mistakes. In four years, I run into one individual who we had a problem with with integrity and we didn't suss it out in the initial interview. But you find that over time. And and that's just what you've got to be comfortable with as as a business leader and that you're hiring for the most part the right people. We're going to help you discover that very quickly. Terrific. So what about someone's major? And again, I'm thinking, of course, it depends on the role that they're going to want to do in your startup. But is a person's major a deciding factor to get into the startup world, Sean? In other words, 
if they haven't studied machine learning, computer science, marketing, whatever that subject might be that aligns with the department, is it a deal breaker? Absolutely not. So getting into the startup world, I've seen people with all sorts of degrees in in where they've come from. Now, if you're trying to start a technology company and you go ask investors to invest in you and you're an English major with no programming experience, that might be a little bit hard. But there are people with history degrees and English degrees and technical degrees that have started companies. And I would go a step further and say, it really does not matter what the school you came from either. I see people from all sorts of universities and backgrounds. One of the greatest things I saw someone do, a good friend of mine had a son who was getting ready to college. He was another West Point graduate friend of mine. And his son was a little bit stressed about getting into a quote unquote name brand school. And this particular friend of mine ran a private equity firm that had invested in over 100 companies. And one day he came home and he had printed out, he had these college logos and had literally over 40 of them and just spread them all over the dining room table. There were a couple of recognizable names. There was a Harvard, there was a Yale, but there were large majority of them were names that his son had never seen before. And when his son asked his dad what the point was, he said, every single one of my portfolio companies is successful. And these are the schools that they graduated from. So the majority of the successful CEOs had not come from big name schools, but had come from other schools throughout the country that provided the same foundation they needed to be successful in the startup world. I love that. And I know that there are many examples of CEOs of name brand tech companies. Like, for example, I believe Jack Ma of Alibaba was an English major. There are so many of them that were on the humanities side. And again, not necessarily at the name brand schools. Fantastic, Sean. Thank you. How important is it to have a grad school degree? And I'm not talking about for entry-level hires, more so for somebody who would one day like to be in the C-suite, would like to run a startup as you are right now. You've got a couple of them. How important do you think they are? And if so, what do you think are the most useful ones to have? Sure. So in the C-suite or even in the, the very executive suite, we're getting ready to hire data scientists right now. And we've put out very strictly in the job description that we would prefer someone with a PhD, but that we won't even look at someone who doesn't at least have a master's. And that's because it's a very hard science field that we're looking for. As you look a little bit more broadly, especially people who are, who are starting companies, I think it becomes very important to investors on what sort of degrees you have. That's not always true. There are plenty of people who have been very successful without graduate degrees. But by and large, if you've got to go out and get investors and get people behind you, MBAs are are always kind of solid, but it's not necessarily what you learn there as much as it is the network. I can't tell you the number of times over the past four years, as well as other companies I've worked in since going to graduate school, where I've been able to call and leverage experience of my classmates in areas that I didn't have an expertise in. And that's part of what grad school does for you is it just really expands your networks and opens new horizons that you can then help build your own company with. Oh my goodness, that is such a great point. What about life experiences? So those experiences outside the classroom, for example, you served in the U.S. military, in the U.S. Army. Thank you so much for your service to this country, Sean. 
What do you think are the most useful life experiences for someone starting out in the startup world? I have to say, and I got plenty of this in the military, but one of the greatest life experiences if you're going to be in the startup world is failure. Having gone through and, and failed before makes you realize that you can recover and that when things get bad, they're not as bad as they could be. And the great thing about failure also is that when you start to get successful, it gives you a bit of humility in those good times. And that's the type of leadership you want to be able to have is the strength of character to carry through the tough times, but the ability to be humble in the good times. Yeah. And the grit. Absolutely. Sean, what is the best part for you of being in the startup world? I think the best part is it's always something different. And and that was what I enjoyed about the Army the most. One day we were jumping out of airplanes and the next day we were being deployed to do hurricane relief along the coast. And that was fun. The difference in the startup world is it can change by the hour. I may be talking to an investor one hour, customer the next hour, my development team the next hour, and then a podcast the next hour. And that's just the morning. I still have a full afternoon to do after that. So it's fun and exciting and always different. And you're probably always learning. Absolutely. So I have no doubt, Sean, that there is a big flip side to this. What is the part of your current job as CEO of Boodle AI that sucks the most? I'll be honest, Andrea, I enjoy what I do. And that's part of, I think, being an entrepreneur is that if you don't enjoy what you do, you don't do it. If I had to say the one I was asked by an investor about two years ago if there was anything I regretted doing a startup a little bit later in life versus in my 20s. I told him I didn't I didn't regret anything, but there's there's two things that I miss. One is being able to have a lot more time with my family. As a startup entrepreneur, you're definitely married to the job and that prevents a lot of family time you may have otherwise. And the other thing I miss, honestly, is is reading books. I used to be a pretty voracious reader of books. I read every day, but I'm now reading journals or articles or something that's related to work and not necessarily just sitting down with a good book. Yeah, that would definitely be a downside. And as you and I were chatting before we started this interview, even though now, and we should let our listeners know we're doing this interview in the beginning of June of 2020, and obviously the coronavirus is all over, and you're working from home, which is great because you've got two little kids and you can spend more time with them. But you also mentioned to me that you're carving out a few hours at the end of the day to spend with them, and then you're back on the computer from 9.30 until 1 in the morning. So those are some really long days. And that's pretty typical in the startup world in, in the, the early stages until you hit profitability as a leader in the company. And so that's one of the things is, you know, my team definitely works longer hours than if they were at a standard kind of nine to five job. But as leaders, the CXO team, which there's four of us, we really try to watch the team and make sure that they're not putting in the same amount of hours. We don't need to burn them out. And a lot of them don't have experience putting those type of hours in. That being said, I worked at a startup as a, it wasn't my startup very early on out of the military. So in my mid twenties, And it was a real ebb and flow. On good days, we wouldn't show up to the office until about 10 o'clock in the morning. And we'd go home at 8, 9 o'clock at night. And that was a day. But there were other days where we slept. If we slept, we slept at the office overnight just because you had deadlines and things you need to get done. You give up a very nine to five, five day a week schedule, but you also get a lot of a lot more fun, a lot more camaraderie, but longer hours no matter what. Another great point. 
<laughs> so, Sean, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten? And I'm guessing you've gotten a lot. I have definitely received a lot over the years, but probably the best advice I got several times throughout my military career, and it always seemed to be from non-commissioned officers, was that you need to take care of your people. And if you take care of your people in the military, if you take care of your people, they will take care of your unit. And in the the private sector that translates, if you take care of your people, they're going to take care of the company. And so I have always tried in every endeavor I've done to make sure that my team is always taken care of. And that, as you mentioned, with COVID-19 has become a, a little bit different challenge in handling. And we've had to find new ways to work with that and make sure that our team is as completely taken care of as they can be. We should also mention that Boodle AI is hiring. I went on your website earlier this week and saw that you've got at least half a dozen positions that are listed. Are they still current? I believe everything that is up there is still current. Yes. Okay. So you get a sense of the ethos of the company, my friends. Two final espresso shots, Sean. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu shows or books do you think accurately sum up this profession? Well, as I mentioned to you, it's been a little while since I've read some books, and it's outside of Frozen or other children's shows. It's been a while since I've watched some good movies. So I can't say that any particular that comes to mind that sums it up. And part of that is it's such a diverse experience. You talk to a person at one startup who was at the early days of Facebook, and I have friends who were, and you talk to other friends who were at the early days of Google. And while there's some commonalities, there are also many differences. Fair enough. And I know just from having interviewed other guests who are in the startup world and from having watched at least season one of Silicon Valley, they do say that that show gives you a really good flavor, a good taste for what that life is like. And it's a comedy, so obviously there are certain things that may seem a little extreme, but I think it is a fair representation of the kind of ebb and flow to the journey that is involved in trying to build a startup. So final espresso shot, what would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession, Sean? I'll tell you a surprise that came to me, actually, when I went to grad school. So I grew up in the startup world in the late 90s, which was the dot-com boom. And I grew up in a world where you either failed or you were you went to a billion dollars. And there was really nothing in between. And I took a course in graduate school called Entrepreneurial Finance. And ironically, the, one of the most sought-after professors after Oprah Winfrey. And what was amazing, though, is the professor actually never taught a single day. He simply leveraged his network, and for the, I think it was 15 classes that we had, he brought in 15 different types of entrepreneurs. And he brought in the person who sold their company for a billion dollars. He brought in the person who had absolutely failed. But he also brought in people that had a variety of different types of businesses. And one of the most common entrepreneurs across the country are what are called lifestyle entrepreneurs. So they are people who don't necessarily work the egregious hours because they're not trying to build towards a billion-dollar company. They have a wonderful business that works well with their lifestyle and allows them to pursue what they want, but they're not worried about becoming the next Twitter or the next Facebook or the next Google. And so, and, and that's, I'm giving you three different types of entrepreneurs. There are many other different types out there. So I think that the surprise for me was to learn of the variety of different types of entrepreneurs one can be. 
What a wonderful note to end on. Sean, thank you so much for making time for coffee today, for making time for either shock or death wish with me today and uh, with the Time for Coffee community. This was just wonderful. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.